Wednesday, August 3rd here in Fancy Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauf, and you're in for something brand new today, if I'm being honest. We're mm. back in RockVox Studio today, RockVox recording and production of Rochester, New York, where they feature professional podcast, voiceover, and live stream studios and production services. You can check them out at rockvox.com. It is not only me and my buddy Jared today, it is also the Deep End Bros, Adam Krautwurst, <laughs> High Stakes Aficionado, and of course the sultry tones of Mike Schoep, so we're <laughs> glad to have those guys in here with us today. Professional podcasts and this <laughs> here at right. Rockbox. I am, we do. <laughs> I am surrounded by a lot of personality here. Um, also a lot of fantasy knowledge, though, so that's good. Just oozing. Oozing personality. Yeah, who's excited to be in this box of fantasy banter for the rest of the month? <laughs> we're doing this once a week throughout August. I am. I'm excited. Yeah, two two podcasts a week, two or three. Well, now with Draft Shark's Invitational, like four. We have like we have like twelve this week or something. <laughs> know, stupid, it's just but. gross. <laughs> Today happens to be between Adam and I and Pros versus Joes last night, and then my Draft Shark's Invitational tonight, which you guys will be you know broadcasting. So. Um, Jam-packed. Yeah, that's right. As they say. Yeah, we'll be talking about that. We're talking to beat writers. We already did one of those this morning. You can find that on the podcast feeds. Um, today's focus is going to be on upside, and I'm actually going to turn things over to Mike as a moderator for these because I, I want some extra time to sit back and like look for where I can insert fart jokes. <laughs> <laughs> That'll work. Which, of course, if you, you know, we'll all edit those out at the end, uh, but they could still be funny. Yeah, so the uh, the idea today, as you're saying, was late round guys that we've been drafting, and I don't know how many drafts it is in total, the four of us, but it's easily in the hundreds. Oh yeah, and so oh, yeah. we have uh, you know skin in the game, so to speak. And if uh, if I'm to go first, I, I'll I'll say Jamal Williams. I think Jamal Williams of Detroit kind of embodies what a late round target sort of should be in the sense that. He's kind of boring compared to, not that the other side of this coin can't work, but rookies, you know, camp hype guys where maybe there isn't the draft capital and we dismissed them a month or two ago, but now suddenly there's buzz. I mean, we'll talk about Isaiah Pacheco in here at some point, and mm. he's sort of who I'm thinking about, but, you know, it's not that he there isn't a path for Pacheco to have success. Jamal Williams has just always been this player, and... In Detroit last year, he got a lot of work even when DeAndre Swift was on the field. I mean, first half of the season or so, he played a lot. I think, again, drafters kind of avoid players that are sort of been around a long time. And in best ball, I think Williams has pretty nice value. Same head coach, a lot of sameness around him, which I think is mostly good. He's always been a guy, even with Green Bay, that coaches seem to really like. So I've got... A guy who's probably going to have some usage even with Swift healthy. Swift is also, if you want this, somebody who's – some of his metrics aren't real fancy, like PFF-type stuff. I mean, I, I don't think there's much of a chance Williams replaces him. I'm not talking like that. Um, but the the way he's been a coach's favorite, Jamal Williams, still there, paid. Um, I think there's a pretty good likelihood that he has a decent role with Detroit. And so what is that, round uh, 15 or so? Yeah, no one ever wants to draft Jamal Williams. He he's always viewed as like the fantasy value suck, you know, sucking it from uh, 
Aaron Jones and then away from DeAndre Swift. But yeah, he, he has standalone value, as you said, Mike. And we got three games of Jamal Williams without DeAndre Swift last season, 17 carries per game in those three games. So, you know, Detroit's going to give him the ball if if Swift misses time. We talked about Swift on uh, Monday show. He is, you know, one of the higher injury risks among those hot, early round backs. So I, I like to call Jamal Williams. Is this how you don't start a brand new show by starting with Jamal Williams? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen up, everybody. Get excited. We're going to talk about that veteran backup running back that might get you some points at some point. So, I mean, I think, really, you could – build a value team and wind up with a good team by going through a fantasy draft and just drafting the most boring guy in every round because mm-hmm. nobody wants to draft the boring guy. We all play fantasy because it's fun and it's not fun to draft a boring running back like Jamal Williams, but that's kind of the point of us being here is like, guys, once you get over this just being what Bill Parcells would have called a <laughs> jag, uh, he's going to give you value because he's involved all the time. And if DeAndre Swift goes down and there is some precedent to that happening, uh, Jamal Williams could have the keys to the offense. Plus, you know, if you want to get more excited about Jamal Williams, all you have to do is look at any website that shows the headshots of players. That guy has the happiest headshot of any NFL player I think <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> and he can catch it if we didn't say that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He's just he's a boring handcuff, essentially. He's in that lower kind of uh, end handcuffs for me. I like kind of the younger rookie backs that um, that are coming out, and even the younger guys too. But, um, yeah, I'm fine with, with Jamal Williams, where, where he's going. Um, I'm not sure he has, like, flex appeal outside of – you know, an injury for for sure, but uh, elite offensive line. You know, they love to they love to run run the ball there. Um, and yeah, you're right. Co- coach's favorite, Anthony Lynn, loved him last year. Was talking about you know he might be even the guy last year. So um, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine with where he's going. Yeah, that was, that was when they were talking times. about him being running back A and running back B, yep. right? Yeah, they're like, well, what does that mean? Yeah. Now he he is gone, Lynn. Yes, mm-hmm. correct. Um, but much the same offense otherwise. Yeah, you would you would expect, I think. Yeah, and a good point on the O line. They return all five starters, five young guys. That's an ascending O line. It, it would not surprise me if we're talking about that as like a top five O line at the end of uh, this season. Adam, your guy here. We talked about him last night, although that might just be out uh, this morning. Our deep end <laughs> broadcast for the Pros versus Joes. Um, your home team. Yeah, I think I think you talked about him last night. We almost missed a pick because you were right. ranting about. That's right. How much you hate Isaiah McKenzie. I, hate I hope Isaiah he's McKenzie. not listening. He's right down the road, too, at St. John Fisher University. Um, so so normally when we like to talk about guys, I like to pull up the amazing Draft Sharks profiles and go through there. I got some work to do. There's no Isaiah McKenzie information here, and and that's why I put him on, on here. Well, let's move Isaiah up, up, up the ranks. It's not even about how great he is. It's just the slot position in the Bills' offense is going to be worth something. Okay, So if he's going 14th, 15th round, maybe he's been switching now. Um, you know, a, as the slot receiver of of choice in, in Buffalo, but Crowder is back healthy, kind of. I think he played yesterday, practiced yesterday. So to me, um, it's not even about the player; it's about the position in the Bills' pass heavy offense and whoever wins that. So I know it might not be plus EV to draft McKenzie in the fifteenth and Crowder in the seventeenth or something like that. But listen, you're gonna cut these guy half these guys anyways. Uh, in the second half of your draft, so um, best ball is a little, little bit different, obviously. But um, it's I think it's okay to take both of them at the right price and then cut whoever doesn't win the job and get 110 targets from the one who does. So I'm on Team McKenzie now um, until I hear different. Plus, you can get an Irish slot receiver like McKenzie. It goes nicely <laughs> with right. the beard. That's right, Adam. 
You did hear different last night, but that does, that, that's stopping you. <laughs> My hang-up with true. McKenzie has been wondering about volume, but then I have to remind myself, if I'm not a buyer on Gabe Davis, then I should probably be more interested in just buying a piece of the Buffalo slot position, and we'll see how it sorts out, but they're all going late enough. Whether you like McKenzie or Crowder or want to take a shot on Khalil Shakir, they're all going late enough that you can just take one and see what happens. Yeah, Cole Beasley, 106, 107, and 112 targets mm. the last three seasons, so that's kind of what you're hoping for if you're drafting McKenzie. Now, the only caveat to that is they did add a, uh, they want to pass to the running back board this year. So I'm wondering if Cook takes a bunch of those away, which is why I'm kind of on Cook there too. Um, But we'll. we'll If you can get 80 targets from McKenzie in the 15th round, you're doing pretty well. Yep. Unless you have to set him in a lineup. I I just, a couple of my points on him, um, there just hasn't been the volume and he's been on the team. Like the, the things you're hearing now are about, explosiveness and elusiveness and you know last year they played 19 games and he got more than three targets one time that was in new england where he caught 11 of 12 and had a huge day when beasley and davis were both out yeah so when he and he got that chance and you know to his to his part the year before he had more games where he had in the four or five range but i just can't imagine that he is their new beasley and I think they want. I think that's what Crowder really was brought in to be. Not that like they're make, they're making about the same money, and neither is making very much. Crowder's been hurt so far, and I don't think I want to read too much into McKenzie. Uh, you know, sh- flashing in camp, he's been talked about a lot. He's very popular with the media and the fans. He's a flashy type of player, but um, I want to see another week go by and see what we have in Crowder. Crowder might end up being somebody who doesn't play much in the preseason anyway because of his experience. I think he's just so close to what Beasley was. New offensive coordinator, you never know, but I just question how much volume McKenzie really gets. Yeah, that that's fair. Uh, and I think this is more of a I should have put like Bill slot receiver as the sure. as the headline. I just think whoever wins the job is going is is going to be undervalued and you can get them both for for cheap. Well, so Mike, with and this isn't necessarily a question for this year, but if you're not excited about Isaiah McKenzie and if Jamison Crowder is getting up there and not making a whole lot of money this year, are you hopeful for Khalil Shakir long term? Is he somebody that you're interested in dynasty purposes? Yeah, I mean for me, the the right people who do prospect work like him. Mm-hmm. And so I think he's exciting. The fifth round makes you wonder what he's worth to the Bills. And when you're the Super Bowl favorite, you have, you have to play it a certain way, I think. Mm-hmm. You play for this year you know, more than a team on the other end of the spectrum. So we'll see what happens with him. Can they get away with him on their practice squad? Maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. he's somebody who another team comes in and, and grabs from you. So they'll be very interesting when it comes to roster cuts Yeah, because I don't yes. know that they really need or would want all these guys there. There's so much overlap. Mm-hmm. And with Kumaro, who plays special teams, and Tavon Austin Tavon, is there. Yeah. <laughs> um, running backs are kind of the long. same thing. That, that's an interesting situation in Buffalo. Hey, fifth round means that he entered the league at a higher level than Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley, right? I guess. I mean, all their <laughs> receivers, Diggs is the fifth round. I mean, all their receivers <laughs> – no, there's no blue chip prospect there in terms of when they were picked. Mm-hmm. Day three All-Stars. So we're going to get to a bunch more individual players here, but we're talking later round upside. And, you know, Jared, that's something that everybody always talks about, and it seems like it's nebulous. But over the past few years, we've built that into the draft war room on DraftSharks.com. We're projecting that upside and 
making our draft war room work in a way that helps you to highlight that upside as the draft moves on. Yeah, I mean, everything we do at Draft Sharks is based on our projections. We're big believers in that, but we also know projections don't capture everything, right? It's just a baseline projection is what we think is most likely, but we know the range of outcomes on these guys is huge. That's why we added the 3D projections a few years ago. That's the floor projection, which is, you know, what what happens if everything goes wrong with this guy? And the ceiling projection, what if everything goes right? So those ceiling projections for every single player are baked right into that draft war room. And then with the upside mode, that's just going to weigh that ceiling more heavily as you get later in your draft, which is how you should be drafting. Mm-hmm. When you get into the double-digit rounds, you don't care about floor at that point. Like Adam mentioned before, most of those guys are going to get cut you know, by October. So you want to try to find that one or two guy that can be a difference maker for your fancy team. And that's what the upside mode is going to is going to help you. do. And if you're in the middle of a draft, your war room at some point in that second half of the draft, close to the middle, but toward the second half of it, you're going to notice all of a sudden that your wide receivers are ordered differently, or maybe your running backs, whatever position you're looking at, all of a sudden they're going to be ordered a little differently. That's because it automatically switches to upside mode. It's like, listen, guy, you're looking for backups here. This one could finish way up here, even though we haven't projected to start right here. So you want to focus on him. You can turn that off if you're annoyed and you're like, no, just show me where Jarvis Landry is. That's fine. <laughs> we have a way for you to do that. But we'll switch to upside mode. We'll tell you who's going to be this year's Isaiah McKenzie as though Adam Krautwurst is looking at him. You can turn upside mode off. I would not recommend it. Right. I agree. <laughs> All right, Jared, back to you here okay, for yeah. uh, running back 42 with Fantasy Mojo, an interesting rookie. So we've started with a boring old backup running back (laughs) and a small slot receiver who's been around. I'm going to give you the exciting, young, athletic rookie, um, Rashad White, the Bucks. Uh, third round pick in Time this, for this podcast going upside That's road. right. Gotcha. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, I think Leonard Fournette is the Bucks starter. He was productive last year. He's good in pass protection. Tom Brady trusts him. Leonard Fournette, though, has also never played a full season in the NFL. He's missed 18 games over his five NFL seasons. Our injury guide has him with an 87% chance to miss some time this season. I think White is up there as one of the highest upside handcuffs you can draft. Again, third round draft capital, that's pretty good in today's day and age. He's six foot, 214 pounds, four, 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 eight, 40 time, 98th percentile relative athletic score. So he has the size, has the athleticism. Averaged 95 rushing yards and 1.3 rushing touchdowns across his uh, two seasons at Arizona State. More importantly, though, elite receiving profile. He averaged 40 receiving yards per game at Arizona State, 22% of the team's receiving yards, a big number for a running back. And he was second in PFF receiving grade among 109 qualifying college running backs last season. So he looks like a perfect fit in this offense. We know Brady throughout his entire career, and that's continued in Tampa, has has targeted the running back position at an above average rate. So again, I think White is pretty much just a handcuff. But if Fournette misses time, I think I think White could give you running back one production in this offense. What do you want to hear there in Tampa? You want to hear about whether he can pass protect, whether Brady trusts him, what the quotes sound like a lot of that stuff is meaningless or even kind of a distraction from what's really going on, but that might have value. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of times, like you, you start with the coach speak and the quarterback speak, you know, what else are they supposed to say? But that's what we want out of Rashad White. Not that he, that he's good, that he catches. We know all that stuff. It's does Brady trust him? My, one of my concerns, and I, and I like Rashad White. I've been drafting him in upside mode for, for, for sure, but it's um, the offensive line now is just in in so much trouble. I know, I think Jared wrote the article, I don't know if you've done it this year or last year, about like what the offensive line means to running back fantasy pr- production, and it's not a ton, but 
man, when you lose three of them and you've got a statue quarterback and you, you know your running back needs to be able to to block. So if 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 Lenny goes down and White can't block, I don't. I, well, we'll see. I'm still on him. I don't want to. I'm the last guy who doesn't take guys because they can't block. But I think it means something in this in this situation. Just for clarity, are we calling Tom Brady a statue or a statuesque? <laughs> both. <Okay>. He's, <laughs> <laughs> He's both. <laughs> Happy birthday That's, to. Uh, <laughs> Two of the greats, Brady and Tyrod Taylor today, Wow, uh, August 3rd. Amazing. Marv Levy, 97 today, by the way. Wow. wow. What a day. What a day. Big birthday day. <laughs> Wonder how many avocados Marv is eating. As many as he wants, hopefully. <laughs> uh, tight ends. We haven't gotten there yet, Matt, but you've got a couple. Yeah, and I just paired Evan Ingram and David Njoku together Cheater. because <laughs> because I don't want to make them two separate entries. I want to name more players, but they're also involved in the same strategy, and I think there are several different ways to approach it. I mean, first of all, it's easy at this point to forget because they've been in the league for a few years, and they've been in the league for exactly the same number of years because they both entered the league in the first round in the same 2017 draft, and that's the starting point is both of these guys begin with – abnormal talent for the position. So, you know, say what you want about what they've done so far in the NFL. That's their starting point. Evan Ingram disappointed the past couple of years with the Giants. I think that that offense was pretty well set up for him to disappoint. Jason Garrett did not do a great job in play design. The offense had lots of issues. So whatever about that. David Njoku had, I think it was his second season, had some big numbers and we were all excited to see what was going to happen. And then the team signed Austin Hooper pretty shortly thereafter. And we haven't gotten a whole lot, but we have gotten the Browns recommitting to him. They franchised him first, then they extended him. Kevin Stefanski saying all the right things. We believe that he's turned into a complete tight end now. He's going to be a big part of what we do this year. And then the final piece for us is that they're both going so late that you don't have to bet on them, you know, to actually bet on them. You know, you you can take them in reserve range. And if nothing happens, then you're not losing out. But. There are several different ways that you can approach them, as I said at the beginning. Now, you can take either one as a tight end two later than I think he should be going. Because when I projected these guys, they both landed inside my top 12. So I think either mm. one makes sense as a late tight end two who could break out. You can wait and take both of them as your only two tight ends, regardless of format. Then you just need one of them to break out or both of them to be okay. And you can figure out how to play them as the season goes on. You can wait and take both as part of your wait on tight end group in a best ball draft and make them your three. You know, either take one right ahead of them, take those two and somebody thereafter. I just think there's so much upside to Evan Ingram in what I think should be a vastly better Jaguars offense and in Joku in what should be a much larger role this year that I want to be in on both of those guys. Interesting. I'm looking at Fantasy Mojo ADP and you've got eight tight ends with those two names, Njoku and Ingram being seven and eight in the rank, who go in a span of 33 picks. So, like, in less than three rounds, that's like tight end, that's the tight end zone, really, yeah. this year. I think maybe a little bit, I'm not sure how unusual that is, but there might be a sense that there's more value there than, than usual. You know, people are going there for tight ends, and there's a lot of sameness in terms of how people, you know, consider them. But yeah. I, I like this argument for both guys i've noticed that in drafts too it's kind of a, a flat tight end two tier this season there's a lot of guys i like man i like njoku and ingram they're my two favorites um i think you know tyler higby's going in that range gerald everett's going in that range i do feel like we say this every year with these later round tight ends and they usually end up <laughs> disappointing right but um this year feels different especially with uh you know how late you can get 
Ingram and Joku. By the way, check out our uh, beat writer pod series. We had Hayes Carlion on from the Jags, Nick Carnes on from the Browns, and uh, you know they did not temper our, our enthusiasm for these two guys at all. And that's the thing is, we I feel like every year lately we're looking at that range. We're saying, yeah, but there are so many guys that I like. And what recent history shows us is that most of those guys are going to stink. Most of them are there for those reasons. These guys have. Two very key indicators, I think, that say they are the upside picks. You know, it was one is the talent level that they entered with, and two, they are in potentially upside situations. Ingram, nine million from Jacksonville. You, you, you like the coach for him, mm-hmm. yeah, in, in Peterson and in Joku. I mean, even much bigger money, the quarterback upgrade. Um, that's an interesting potential. If I, was, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. If I just have to hear. <laughs> The coaching staff in Cleveland talk about Njoku and his blocking one more time. I'm going to scream. Like, if they just, oh, he's, his blocking's been so good. I don't want him blocking right. That's for fair. fantasy. But I but I love Njoku. I love everything you guys said. Um, I love that that range for Engram and Njoku. And the reason why I think that the tight end tier there, there's so many picks, is because I think t- picking tight end there works for every strategy. If you miss, you can take two of them there, like Matt said. You can take an elite one and still take an upside guy like Evan Ingram or Njoku in those, in, in those rounds there. Um, I've had success doing that, especially in the the tight end premium leagues. The year that I uh, came in fifth in the main event, I started three tight ends the final three weeks. It was Gusecki, it was Goddard, and it was Ertz. And so they were all smashing every single week. So you can can make builds, especially in tight end premium, where taking two or sometimes even three makes sense. Uh, one of those tight ends was a wide receiver, though, I believe. That is true. That is true. Sicky? Well, yeah, yeah. And, and, and he's now not, he's a left tackle. He's and now not he's now. a left tackle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like he's... I, I don't think they've watched his college tape, if that's right. what they're doing with him this year. That's right. All right, I'm up next, and I've got Kenyon Drake next on my list. This seems to be like the very last round yeah. or two rounds of drafts, but with so much... it's I, There are a lot of teams like this, but really it's a it's hard to know what the Raiders have in mind. So what do you look for? They did not give Jacobs that fifth-year option, so that that can mean either thing. You can go in either direction, run the hell out of them, or just like they're moving on. New coach, new GM, make me feel like it's more the latter. And they did draft Zamir White, but Drake can catch it. And like two years ago, he was seventh in the league in, in rushing, like not that long ago. Remember, he was acquired by Arizona from Miami in the middle of the season. He's always been, for me, a guy that – just like the right situation is waiting for him, and if he gets it, he could just take off. And for a minute there with Arizona, it looked like we were going to have that. He's had injuries. Really, last year with Vegas, he was kind of buried. But I don't really care. Like, it's almost free in drafts. I think he's proven to be good. He's 28, but I, I think he's probably, unless you get into a Brandon Bolden, <laughs> Abdullah thing there with the Patriots' former offensive coordinator, He's, he should be, in my mind, the pass-catching option, maybe clearly, with Vegas. So, Kenyon Drake in the last round, yeah. Did we do that last night? We did it before the last round. Good. Yeah, I love it. Had to make sure you got Kenyon Drake. That's right. Couldn't Had wait. to make sure. I almost didn't want to bring up Brandon Bolden. I feel like he doesn't really deserve to be brought up, but he does have that <laughs> connection with, with Josh McDaniels. But I think Drake should be the pass-catching back here. My my only pushback would be, like, what's the ultimate ceiling on Kenyon Drake? Like, if Josh Jacobs goes down, is he the feature guy? Or is it, in that case, you know, some Drake and some Zamir White. I think maybe. And we're talking AFC West shootouts. Sure. I mean, we don't know, but there is that possibility. And if they're losing in games, which they should be, they should be losing a lot of high-scoring games. I don't know. It might set up really well. well. Plus, we're talking about if Josh Jacobs went down, which would be the first piece of that ultimate ceiling, 
What about Zamir White? He's got a couple of ACL tears behind him. He's missed camp time already with injury stuff. So what if he's not there as well? All of a sudden, it's like, well, I guess we'll throw Kenyon Drake out there a lot. And, you know, we're talking about late, especially with Kenyon Drake. So you can mention the downside stuff, but it doesn't matter. I mean, especially once we get past our best ball rosters and we're looking at a team where we're controlling it throughout the season, if Kenyon Drake just gets nothing— then you're dumping him in the first four weeks for somebody who we didn't see coming. Uh, Zamir White, like almost no receiving production Ch- chops, at Georgia. Yeah. That was James Cook, right yeah. at Georgia. Yep. So um, and another teammate ahead of Zamir. Uh, yeah, still ahead of Zamir White, even behind James Cook there. So he was the third receiver in that backfield last year. All right, I'm feeling even better about it. <laughs> Love it somehow, Adam. Somehow I'm feeling better about <laughs> last night than I already did. Adam George Pickens is a hot name. Love George Pick. Did we get George Pickens last night? No, we didn't. No. We wanted him. We went, went, went Claypool. Um, Claypool. Love. <laughs> pick Claypool, and I go, he's hurt. And Adam goes, he is? Check <laughs> shark bites, Adam. In, these injuries don't. <laughs> these injuries happen. I, I'm, at, I'm at the gym for 30 minutes, and I got 90 injury updates yeah. from Mike. I'm yes. like, what is going on? Yes. They're dropping like flies? Yesterday was tough. <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, I love Pickens. I think he is super talented. I think most of what most people do is a little bit of a head case. And I think going to Pittsburgh, um, you know, going to a coach that I think deals with players like Pickens very well. I mean, the Le'Veon Bell, the Antonio Brown. No one knew how kind of crazy they were for like five years. So I think Pickens um, went to a went to a great spot. He is a little bit little bit buried, and the quarterback situation sucks, which is why he's going in the 15th, 16th round. Um, but I think an injury or a surprise from Mitch Trubisky maybe um, could get him uh, could get him moving up the, up the boards. Obviously right now he's more of a, I know people love this, he's more of a uh, best ball player, but um, but I think Pickens has a there's there's a road there. If, if somehow Deontay Johnson gets traded before the season, which I think I just made that up. I don't, I don't think that's actually don't 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 go to the bank with that for sure. But you know these contract issues can can be a problem sometimes for these guys. So Pickens, I think, is an absolute stud. Even when he drops the ball in camp, he doesn't drop the ball in camp. He still catches it before it hits hits the ground. So uh, I love him. <laughs> he's just he's a stud. He would have gone a lot higher if he hadn't had the torn ACL last year that basically yep. cost him the entire season. But five star recruit coming to Georgia, top five wide receiver in his rec- uh, recruiting class, led the team in catches, receiving yards, and touchdowns as a true freshman. And, and Adam, you said he's buried on the depth chart. I mean, I I think he's already pretty clearly the third guy. Right? Yeah, well, that's where I figured he was. And at, I think yeah. it's going to be a you know pre- uh, primarily three wide receiver team, right? Yep. I mean, they have nothing at tight end behind Fryermuth. Um, so I think he's going to be on the field, and then, yep. like you said, he's one injury or you know potential Deontay Johnson trade away from you know being being a big part of that passing game. And I'm not sure how good this team's going to be, so we should get a, a fair amount of a, probably more passing volume than they would like because I'm sure that they would like to lean a little bit more run given who they have at quarterback. Although Mason Rudolph apparently having an oh, amazing God. summer. If he's their best quarterback, <laughs> that's a big problem. That is a problem. <laughs> Wide receiver, seventy four. Come on. Come on. Climbing, climbing though, right? I mean, with I, a bullet. 74 yeah. with a bullet. <laughs> That's right. I'm curious to hear you, Jared, on uh, Brian Robinson, because I didn't hear, I'm not, again, I'm not crushing college tape, didn't hear great things about him as a college player, but um, in Washington, Washington coaches, they, they, they have a lot to say. And it's, a, it's an offseason so far where we're hearing about uh, committees and how Brian Robinson seems to really matter. Yeah, I feel like Ron Rivera is basically telling us to draft this guy in fantasy. Um, you know, he compared the backfield to his Jonathan Stewart, D'Andre Williams days in Carolina. You look at 
those backfields, that was basically an even split between those two guys. I'm I'm not projecting that for Robinson and, and Antonio Gibson, but you never know. Um, then and then uh, Rivera talked up Robinson's you know between the tackles power running style uh, last week, and you know kind of said. Basically, he was calling Gibson more of a finesse player, I think, is how I read it. You know, more of an outside-the-tackle stuff and passing game stuff. I mean, Robinson didn't have a great college career. He was stuck in, you know, loaded Alabama backfield, so you can, you know, forgive him for that a little bit. Did have a really big 2021 season, uh, 1,300 rushing yards, plus 35 catches, so we can do that. Um, he's 225 pounds. He's a 66th percentile athlete, so he's an above-average athlete. I think... At minimum, he's the Antonio Gibson handcuff because the other guy there is J.D. McKissick, and if Gibson goes down, McKissick's role is not going to change a whole lot. He's a small pass-catching back. So you'd have Robinson as the primary ball carrier, the goal line guy in the case of a Gibson injury. And Gibson has, of course, dealt with injuries in both of his first two NFL seasons. So that's kind of that's the floor case for Robinson, I think, and I think there's a chance he gets enough work where he's a, he's a standalone fantasy option this season. Yeah, what's the crux of running backs don't matter? It's that opportunity matters more than the specific differences in talent between the players. And everything that Washington's doing indicates that they want to give him the opportunity. Picked him in round three, and then right away, Ron Rivera's like, oop, I got my Jonathan Stewart to go with my D'Angelo Williams. (laughs) You want to look for this guy between the tackles, which to us fantasy folks, I think also means near the goal line. Yeah, and I think three-headed backfields are so... Difficult, but you're not you're not drafting him hoping for a three headed backfield. You're hoping I don't you know we're not allowed to say this, but we're hoping for an, an an injury or just in case of an injury to Antonio Gibson. Like who would who would go higher in a, in a draft, Antonio Gibson right now, or if Antonio Gibson was hurt and Brian Rob it was just Brian Robinson and J D McKissick. I think Brian Robinson would move up higher, maybe the fifth round or something like that, fifth sixth round. So because Gibson's out of the because way. Gibson's out of the way. So I think you're drafting Robinson. You're drafting all these handcuffs. Um, hoping for that opportunity. That's the whole crux behind, you know, zero RB or hero RB is is that. So I think Robinson's, again, another one of those guys that you you can take. The problem is he doesn't have the upside of um, even like a Kenyon Drake with, with injuries because Drake's going to get already get the pass down work. You know, unless McKissick gets hurt, I don't see Robinson getting pass down work. And you really need that to absolutely smash. But, um, but I, I like Brian Robinson, rookie, upside. Uh, he just needs a, an, uh, an injury, I think. I, I want to take Washington and just shake it. I know. I guess right. Every year with that's Rivera right. and Washington, just like, what are we doing? Gibson was such a hot idea uh. when they drafted Gibson. and Oh, but he was a wide receiver, and he's never come close to looking like a guy who was how we thought he would look in the NFL playing for Washington. Even though he was really good, he scored a lot that first year, but still, like we've always been frustrated with them. They didn't. They, they let McKissick go, and then they somehow got him back. You know, what what kind of management? Right. And, and now Robinson mixed in there. I, I had Curtis Samuel on this. Hey, look, look. I saw that look. Matt had two guys at once, all right? I could mention. Uh, Three names only. I had Curtis Samuel on this list until this morning. Yesterday there was a thing where maybe his conditioning is in question now, and that's it's just all, so many eye rolls right. with Washington. Because you, <laughs> you right. want, okay, Curtis Samuel going there, great. But then he's hurt. I mean, not the fairest example. Just um, time after time, it seems we're sort of annoyed with them. And they also have to only compare their guys to guys he's coached previously in the league as if the rest of the league doesn't mean anything. Well, that just makes them perfect late-round targets, though, because you don't want to bet on this team, but somebody's going to do something. So later on, you're like, well, why not for Washington? They haven't figured it out, so I'll take the guy that's going in round 15, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, RB54 for Robinson. So I think you're drafting him to just be a handcuff, and anything beyond that is a bonus. Yep. Mm -hmm. Any of you guys, like, really sort of significantly – 
overweight on Dotson there? I am. Yeah, he's one of I'm my favorite picks. No? No, I, I don't think To I me, it's any. just the guy was a 16th overall pick in the NFL yeah. draft, and he's going on like the 13th or 14th round of fantasy drafts. Yeah. Samuel has issues. Uh, I, I think, you know, there's a good chance Dotson finishes second on that team in targets. Pretty good camp hype yeah. so far for what that's yep. worth, too. And he's like I, 20 positional ADP spots behind yeah. Sky Moore, who, by the way, came off the NFL draft board as the 13th receiver, I think, versus the number five for Dotson. I didn't even like Dotson coming out, but yeah. I do think he's like pretty pro-ready, and he got the draft capital. That's true. Anybody on Christian Watson at all? No. No. <laughs> Not even the Packers right now, I think. How about that's that? Right. Cautionary tale, maybe. <laughs> well, speaking of receivers, Will Fuller. This was interesting. The war room. <laughs> Last night, yeah, the war right. room put, put us on Will Fuller, and we drafted him, and then it was like ADP was maybe three rounds later. <laughs> but started to get exciting, thinking about landing yeah, spots, taking right. that. This is your that's guy. Right. Yeah, I mean, that that's really it. Like, he doesn't have a team yet, which is the only reason his ADP is down there. Maybe he doesn't sign with anybody, so it makes it easier to draft him. You know, if you're a high-volume best ball drafter or if it's a managed league where you can drop him early, if he still doesn't have a team come September, I have a hard time believing that nobody signs William Fuller before week one, though. And right now he is wide receiver 85 on underdog, wide receiver 76 on FFPC. Where in the league could he possibly sign and still be at either of those spots the next day in drafts? Mm -hmm. So right now you should be taking some Will Fuller. And if you want to, you know, hedge your bets by not taking him too much, that's fine. But you, I think you definitely want to be in on this price of William Fuller because if he lands in Chicago tomorrow, if he mm -hmm. signs with Denver after the Tim Patrick Dallas, thing, Dallas, and, Dallas, and basically yeah. and there you can name at yeah, least yeah. you can name so many teams where you're like, oh yeah, if he was there, I'd take him in round ten right now. So take him right now, and he's in round seventeen. Yeah, I mean, Julio went to a horrible spot for fantasy. You know what I mean? Like, he's might be the fourth option there. And he's still, he's going, I forget where he went last night, but I think he's going like the, dude, the 11th, 12th, 10th, somewhere in there. Um, I'm 100%. So we took a fuller in the 15th round last night, which may be a round or so early based on ADP. I'm 100% sure that if Will Fuller gets picked up, that he's going to go in the 11th, 10th, depending on where he goes. If he goes to like the Cowboys, my God, the, the, the sky's the limit. I'm 100% sure about that. Now, I'm not. I'm a hundred. I don't even know if he's alive, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I know I'm a hundred percent certain that his his ADP will rise uh, once he gets picked up by someone. And I think he he has to. I, I don't. I don't know what's going. Well, on. We got literally like the first report on Fuller that we'd gotten in months, yeah. a few days ago, from Aaron Wilson, who said teams are monitoring him, and he's. I think the report was he's more likely to sign later in the preseason. Yeah, what does that mean to at monitor least, him? Like right. they've at least, uh, at least we know he's alive. Like, at least we know that? he's alive. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're all monitoring him. Why wouldn't teams be? Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they, they remember Will Fuller. Yeah. How uh, many cars are parked outside of his house right now? People like, where's he going? Is that a T Burger he's King doing sit-ups with T.O. In the, in, in the driveway. I love monitoring. You know, somebody sees him on the street, they just stop. That's look right. at him. Where's that guy going? But you should, we should watch him where he goes. That's watch, right. watch where he what building he walks into. <laughs> um, can you have a show like this on this subject and not even mention Paris Campbell? I mean, I think, uh, I guess you could, but he's always been a favorite of mine, and here we are again. I mean, you, you hear on podcasts the name Paris Campbell comes up and somebody snickers or somebody laughs, and it's like you can't even do this anymore, but he is still very young, twenty, just turned 25. And I think of the Christian McCaffrey uh case when it comes to injuries when I think of Paris Campbell because I, I've 
I think this is the majority probably, but certainly not everybody, who looks at McCaffrey's injury history and goes, yeah, I don't care. It's, it's nothing chronic or nothing that should necessarily mean anything toward his injury risk this year, or not as much as you know others would say. I mean, Campbell had a broken foot. He was in a car accident uh, in August a couple of years ago. I know that. And then last year he was hurt too. So he has an injury history, and that's the whole point. That's really the whole argument against him is injuries because super talented. And now he's on a team with a quarterback that, for the most part, people are kind of hot for throwing the ball. I mean, they, they do have Jonathan Taylor. I don't, I don't think the Colts will be necessarily hugely different, but better in the air. And then what were we talking about after Michael Pittman? You know, it's so uh, such so unknown. So, That's right. so far, training camp sounds like it, it could be Campbell's to lose. And there's a ton of potential there if he actually stays on the field. It's always the thing. And, you know, gets with Matt Ryan. So, I'm, I'm back. Every year I'm to Paris Campbell, and here I am again. <laughs> I'm a big Alec Pierce guy. That's the only thing holding me off Campbell. But um, it does sound like Campbell's even playing in two wide receiver sets for the Colts, which is important because they're such a heavy two tight end team. You want that guy who's going to be on the field when they're in two wide, and that's been Campbell so far. So, buzzy camp for him. It's been a buzzy offseason for Matt Ryan basically since they signed him. Like, everyone's talked about how awesome he's been relative to Carson Wentz, which he isn't you know, tough to look good versus Carson Wentz, I guess. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely in on that Colts offense, and it does seem like Campbell, at least to open the season, is going to be the guy you want outside of Pittman. For what it's worth, Campbell's only played 15 games through three seasons, and yet in the Draft Sharks injury guide, he still comes up as low risk for injury this season. And I, I checked through the history just to make sure we're not missing injuries. We got him listed. So whatever whatever the algorithm needs to project those numbers, it's not super worried about Paris Campbell's health. He's fresh. He's, he is he fresh. Do like Christian McCaffrey. He's fresh. Fifteen four last night in Pros versus Joes. We went Fuller at fifteen five. Love Fuller. <laughs> Wandale Robinson, not on today's show. Fifteen three. He is on today's show. <laughs> oh, well, what's this? Oh, oh. There's Wandale. Do you want to just go there now, or do you want to go in order? <laughs> oh, I, I, I wonder how Mike floor. managed to overlook him. <laughs> I think it was the apostrophe. Right. I don't know. It's, <laughs> Uh, no, no excuse for that. And there's Romeo Dubs or Dubs. I'm not sure, but that was also 15th round last night. There Interesting. You go. It's a hot round. All right. Well, I've given everything away. Let's go in order. <laughs> you know, we'll get better. Isaiah Pacheco. This will be fun. Yeah, I just, I just heard of him about about a week ago. <laughs> uh, you know, 96 percent spark, uh, spark athletes. Four three seven forty. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a bet on him making the team and then at some point uh, being something. So, uh, you know, I'm ta- I've been taking him uh, in the late rounds of every draft. He's kind of been creeping up, creeping up um, in the la- in the last week. So, you know, he's been running with the ones. I know a lot of people, a lot of got- running backs run with the ones, but there's been some, some buzz. Um, and I think he's just worth taking. And then the later rounds, maybe I mean, maybe Ceh just stinks. Maybe he needs his wisdom teeth pulled, and and he'll miss another six weeks or something but um yeah just just a bet on on the on the kansas city backfield yeah and i'll throw in my uh stock this is why i hate jarek mckinnon and that's why it helps pacheco because jarek mckinnon had the great playoffs and otherwise barely touched the ball last year and you can say well he was getting used to the offense he was getting healthy then when the games mattered most they gave him the ball Maybe that's the case, but that's the same reason that we were taking Damian Williams five years ago in the fourth round after he had the big playoffs, after Kareem Hunt, mm-hmm. you know, went bye-bye. So 
I need to see more than that from Jarek McKinnon, who's on the wrong side of 30 and lingered on the open market before Kansas City was like, all right, buddy, come on back in the door. And now to hear that Pacheco is working ahead of him in practices, that's all I need. I'm out on McKinnon and I'm in on Pacheco. Yeah, I think Chiefs running back is the argument in favor of Pacheco. I don't want to bet on McKinnon. I don't want to bet on Ronald Jones. I don't even really want to bet on CEH, honestly. like He's going so late where I have taken some shots on him, but... Um, and I do think it's significant that Pacheco as a seventh round rookie is getting first team reps, even if it's just Definitely. mixing in here or there. I think, yeah. I think that means something. Yeah. You don't want to overrate it, but the significance is you don't have to say, I think he can work in. You say the team's already given him shots at it. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Interesting player. That is a relatively new name. I think to most even heavy drafters sure. the summer. I mean, there was, there was really no Isaiah Pacheco happening in any of those underdog drafts. Uh, I might have him in one just for the heck of it. Maybe it was super late. <laughs> yep. At night. He's, at night. I mean. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the first time I heard his name was from Matt Waldman, who I know we all respect as a you know film guy. Yep. Um, he he liked Pacheco. The the college stats aren't are pretty underwhelming. The you know advanced metrics are pretty underwhelming. But yeah, I know Waldman liked the tape, so that that means something to me. And the athleticism is great. Yeah. Mario Puig, Rotowire, one of my favorite guys to read. When Pacheco's name came up, he said he should beat out everybody else there. Oh. Perfect. You you heard it there, Mario. <laughs> you know, or words to that effect. Super That's the impression Mario. it left on me. You did the same thing with James Robinson a couple of years ago. You, you beat out everybody else. There. You might find limited buzz too, because nobody knows how to spell his name. It's going to be spelled different ways. Uh-huh. So searching it up is going to be difficult. Nice, missing an A. Nice job on the uh, on the, the prep sheet here, getting it right. <laughs> and there's Wandale Robinson. What there do you know? Is. It's true. There he is. It's true. <laughs> Well, yeah, so I'll, I'll I'll start let's start let's start with the the bad the knock against Wondell Robinson. He's really small. He's 178 pounds. Um, he has like T Rex arms, I think. Um, that that's that's the only knock I can find against him. I mean, he was third in the country in catches last year, 104 mm. catches, eleventh uh, in the country in receiving yards. He was top five among 251 qualifiers in both yards per route run and PFF receiving grade last year. That fell two seasons at Nebraska. He was like a hybrid running back wide receiver, which I, I kind of like as the profile. And we've already seen the Giants potentially using him in that role a bit. He's been lining up in the backfield at camp, going in motion, doing all sorts of creative stuff creative stuff with him. My favorite thing about Robinson, too, is that, you know, he was the 43rd overall pick in this spring's draft, eighth wide receiver off the board. And he is the only receiver there, you know, not Kenny Galladay, not Kadarius Toney, not Darius Slayton. That this new regime has no ties to those guys. Yep. Wondell Robinson is the guy Brian Dable and Joe Shane, their new GM, handpicked, and they spent big draft capital on him. So it already looks like Robinson's locked into a top three wide receiver role there. And it's, I mean, I like Kadarius Toney. He's still a question mark. Kenny Galladay's coming off a rough season. So I think Robinson couldn't end up playing a really big role for this offense. Mike, I care a lot about name pronunciations. Can I get an official pronunciation (laughs) on Brian Dable? Dable, Dable? It's Dable to me, but I do hear different. Okay. Um, I would like to think... That in however many years at WGR, when Dable was the Bills' offensive coordinator, somebody would have corrected me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think everybody else there says it the same way. So yep. it's Dable, I All think. Right. I'm yes. officially on the Dable train, too, though. Okay. <laughs> what about Wandale Robinson, Adam? Yeah, no, I agree with everything Jared said. He went to K- Kentucky, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started in Nebraska. And then no, I was just, I, have, I was in Kentucky. I go to there for the KFSC uh, the last couple of years, and I, I remember walking. Through, through, through the casino and some guy's wearing a Kentucky jersey just was placing a bet at the sports book and he's just like you guys gotta bet Kentucky they're gonna be really good this year I'm like blah, blah, blah. and he's talking about this guy Wandale Robinson I'm like what is this guy talking about 
He was he he, he nailed it. <laughs> Kentucky was really good. Wandale was really good. Here he is, and you're right. The, he was he, he was picked by them, and it, kind of a a plug for Tony. Is I thought Tony might have been going into this year like that gadget guy, but he is looking more like he might be in that Steph Diggs role for for them. So which is great for for Kadarius Tony, um, and great for Wandale Robinson. He's certainly worth picking. You know, um, those might be the top two receivers there. I was on Galladay earlier in the year, but I just I haven't heard a ton on him, and and I feel like. You know, again, he's 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 a holdover, so they might not really be be into him. Solely best ball for me on Galladay. Yeah, there you go. Wandale Robinson, just a like a smaller Rondale Moore. You gotta love that. <laughs> <That's right. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great name to end with here when we talk about prospects, late round upside targets, Romeo Dubes. I'm not sure if that's right, but that's I don't what think it, looks it is. Like. Nobody's sure if it's right. That's part is. of the fun. Is you can pronounce he's he's young enough in his NFL career, you can pronounce it however you want. It could be Dubes, <laughs> could be Dubs, could be Dobbs. I think it's supposed to be Dobbs. I think we will all know better very soon because he's been doing nothing but generating buzz since he got to Green Bay. In it started in the spring. You know, you read reports like the defense has been impressed with him ever since he started practicing. They've talked about his polish. He, they just, Jared CC'd me this morning on this video <laughs> clip of him outrunning Eric Stokes, who was an early second round cornerback pick by the Packers over the past few years and ran, ran a sub 4 340. So Romeo Dobbs is fast. He's uh, a 4 1 guy. Like everything, there's nothing negative. Nobody's like, all right, guys, today is the pump the brakes on Dobbs day. There's nobody. Everybody there is excited. And the biggest factor driving that for his fantasy upside is we're talking about a pass catching core that loses Devontae Adams and has no sure answers. I mean, Alan Lazard is supposedly the new number one. And Aaron Rodgers is talking like he's the new number one. But... I don't think that we're looking at a number one anywhere close to what Devontae Adams' territory was. So even if Alan Lazard's the leader, there's plenty of room alongside him. Dobbs sure looks like the favorite to, I don't know, land in that number two spot. Randall Cobb is there, I guess, and it depends on how much Aaron Rodgers leans on safety versus upside. But that's that's what's been pulling me to Dobbs and I think is what's going to make me even chase him up now that he's climbing a few rounds. As long as it stays late enough. I'm not chasing him wherever he goes. Round 12, Romeo Dobbs is probably not for me. But as long as he stays in that round 15-plus range, uh, you know, they talk about him being polished, being NFL ready. So I'm in at the bottom of my roster, and I think it's somebody that could really contribute early on. According to Packers.com from earlier this spring, Dubs, like you're saying, or no, Dobbs, Dobbs. like you're saying, but Dubs is his nickname, and he's fine with both. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Dubs is out. That's not that's, a nickname. That clears it up. That's yeah, like exactly. me being okay when people call me Shoff. That's not a nickname. That's, that's right. just you going or along shop, with people. Or shop talk. It sounds that's like a right. mistake. <laughs> but right. So Dobbs, but Dubs you can get, a, get away with. Dubs is out. Dobbs, forget it. Not even close. Can, can we get away with shop or no? Not when I'm in the room. <laughs> <Not when laughs> you're... Uh, Dobbs it is. Okay. That's, that's about all we have for tonight. For today, tonight is the first round, first league draft of the Draft Sharks Invitational. I'll be in there. You guys will all be chirping. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Talking lots of nonsense. JJ Zacharyson, Evan Silva, Darren Armani, Darren's Revenge. Well, you know who he loves now or doesn't love to take. You know, you know those those players. I guess maybe that's useful. Very different format, fun, interesting, uh, challenging format. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be on fan tracks, and uh, so it's going to be a, a blast. This is 
this is always the best the, the best time of year. Uh, these are these are the it's probably six hardest drafts uh, that you'll find anywhere. It's the handpicked analysts and handpicked high stakes players. So um, the winner of this will be uh, will be crowned. I think we got a bigger prize pool this year too, right? If I'm not correct, I'll have to. Yeah, we bumped it up. Find that out. And this is the first draft, before. so we'll still have plenty of energy. You know, by that's the right. by the sixth one, we're that's like right. slouching our chairs. Uh, yeah, that's right. Jared says we, but he's the one slouching. <laughs> I'll still have the energy going like a cup of espresso not on the sixth night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, first of six Draft Sharks Invitational's drafts tonight. They're all going to be on Fan Tracks. We're going to be streaming all of them live, all with analysts you know, with high stakes players you should know that you do know if you watched them the past few years and we'll you know intro everybody as we get into them we get to watch and see how they draft so we not only get to prepare for our upcoming drafts and that but our drafts all around we can see what these guys are doing and either mimic or you know mock it depending on what they do it's only fair given that we got to go last in pros versus joe's we didn't pick tim patrick (laughs) that's right you know he went in all the other drafts and speaking of someone who has zero Tim Patrick shares, that's Chad Schrader, last year's champion. He doesn't draft till August 1st, so that's he's got crazy. no Tim Patrick shares. And Pete Overzet is also in this event, the winner year year one. Yeah, so third annual Draft Sharks Invitational. Look for that tonight. Look for our Beat Writer Series, which is ongoing. We had one of those already Wednesday morning. We got another one Wednesday afternoon. Bunch more coming throughout. You can find all the podcasts on DraftSharks.com, on our YouTube channel, on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. If you go to DraftSharks.com, though, you can also become a DS Insider. You can see our full 3D projections that we made reference to earlier on the rankings page for any position. You can find the Draft War Room. You can build your own Draft War Room so that it uses your league scoring, your league's lineup settings, and it hits you with the proper upside mode at the right time in your draft. So you can make, take advantage of these late round guys that we've been talking about here. For Mike Show, for Adam Krautwurst, for Jared Smola, for the entire Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 